You're listening to Behind the Bliss, a weekly podcast where Rachel Autry brings conversations to you from women that share what's behind their highlight reel. Each episode is designed for you to see a message from the mess and encourage you to find balance in the bliss. We know that what you're facing is important for shaping who God has created you to be. Some may say it's a process that often happens behind the bliss. Here's today's episode. A lot of our worlds have been flipped upside down. Maybe you've lost a job, you've been in the middle of some really hard circumstances in your personal life, professional life. There have been a lot of curveballs and whiplashes thrown at us in the past year. And as I'm processing through and thinking through our response, oftentimes I get brought back to different ways to show kindness, small acts of love, because I know that that's where we start seeing change in our world. Today's guest is one of my greatest Instagram friends we've actually not yet met in real life, but it all started in episode 45 when Amy Wolf joined me for a conversation about loving others well while you still disagree with them. Y'all, this came out in May of 2019 before any of the conversations have become forefront of our minds like they have the past year. So if you have yet to listen to episode 45 with Amy, highly recommend you go back and listen to that before listening to today's episode. But if you are just so excited and on fire to love people well, to show up bravely and boldly and creatively with where you are and what you've got, then go ahead and continue listening to today's episode because we talk all about it. Amy's new book, Signs of Hope, How Small Acts of Love Can Change Your World, just came out. And I'm talking, it's fresh on the shelves and I am so excited for her. It's all about this powerful but accidental movement that happened when she created yard signs to empower the community around her. She offers encouragement while also claiming hope for yourself. And that is what we are all about here at Behind the Bliss Podcast. So anyone can make a difference in the world, especially through small acts of kindness. And I'm excited to jump into what this could look like for you and your world today. Amy, welcome back to Behind the Bliss podcast. I am so honored oh, that you would come you and kidding? join me this again. This is such an honor for me. I, I joke that you're one of my Instagram friends that feels like we've met in person, but we never have, but we talk about what that would be like if we did. It's really quite All the time. I know. I'm like, I, I still can't believe we haven't. I feel like we talk, we talk like I, we have. I know you I like know. we have. If I saw you at the grocery store. It would be just nothing but a thing, you know? Yeah, that's so true. That's so funny. Don't you love that, though, that this is this is what this community can do, bring people together in the coolest of ways? Yeah, I know that social media can be a tricky thing, but it has been a really fruitful way for me for connection, especially in the last year. Especially in the last year. Absolutely. Um, I joke with my friends that I record with on podcasts. I'm like, this is my social interaction today. <laughs> Thank you yeah, for right. showing up. Yeah. And it's been great. And I love it. And you've been up to a lot since we last were able to chat. We, I mean, when was that? Like, it was like two years ago we chatted on here. Yeah, it was a while ago. You have been moving some cool mountains, and I'm excited to talk about all uh, of them today. But tell us what you've been up to, big or small. Just give us a quick little catch up since last time yeah. we talked. Yeah, a couple years. Let's see. I think shortly after we chatted last, I got an email from an agent in New York with the subject line that said literary agent. And in the text, it was one line and it said, have you considered writing a book? Uh (laughs) (laughs) And that was shortly, I think, after our first conversation. And 
uh, two years later, fast forward, I am launching a book, which we'll talk about. But that's been something that's actually felt really productive in the last year. I own a small business, a speaker coaching business. We used to travel a couple times a month, large corporations all around the country, helping refine their presenters and the presentations. And that got quiet and it went virtual and it's been not as busy. And yet this book kept trucking along pandemic or not. So it was really quite beautiful to have a project with deadlines that didn't shift and space to create and refine. And so that was kind of a beautiful part of 2020 for me. I have a young family and we've done virtual school. We're still in it. And they are champs. I have two daughters who are second grade and fifth grade. My husband has always wanted to work from home and he got what he asked for. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> to the point where he's like begging when he, can he go back to the office, which is kind of funny. And yeah, what else? There's a, a You've lot renovated of your house. Oh gosh. We found our forever home in the middle of pandemic, which is beautiful. And it was not exactly what we wanted. So we just finished about two months of a remodel and love it. We, I love it too. I am every single time I see your story pop up, I'm like, please be something else. I, please be I something know. else. <laughs> Listen, people love before and afters and I do too, but having pretty phenomenal before and afters, I realized the pain in between the first picture and the second picture, the money and the pain and the discomfort of being displaced and walking around tarps and people in your home every day showing up at weird hours. I just appreciate so much more those before and after pictures online. Uh, I should appreciate them too, because I'm like everybody else, love a good before and after, instant gratification. But yeah, I forget the cost, literal and figurative (laughs) costs. That's right. (laughs) Okay, so you've been up to a lot. One of them, one of my favorites being this book. What an incredible opportunity. Because last time we did talk about this really neat venture that you went on to create Signs of Hope. And then here we are sitting with this really cool, neat, bounded book called Signs of Hope. Yeah. All about how small acts of love can change your world. And it's true. It's so true. And so I want you to maybe share the story behind it. I know the story, but I want you to share the story about these signs, where they come from. Some of my Birmingham friends listening might even like start catching on like, oh, those are the signs. Because I went on mission after our conversation two years ago and put up signs in random places around Birmingham with some friends. And it was so fun. So for the people that are like, what signs are you talking about? Fill us in. <laughs> literal yard signs. Like literal yard me, signs. <laughs> <laughs> like got me a book deal, you guys. Uh, well, it started in May 2017. I was sitting with my small group from church. We met every week. Same group for over seven years. And one of them was a high school biology teacher and said, you wouldn't believe the suicide rates lately. And I was dumbfounded. I certainly am not qualified in the arena of mental health. I personally have never suffered with any mental illness or depression or anxiety, although I know that's many, many, many people's stories. I sat there thinking, like, what can I do? Which I think a lot of us have read headlines lately and thought, what do we do? What do we do about the division? What do we do about the suffering? What do we do here in Oregon? We had wildfires and friends or teachers or colleagues that get a diagnosis. I mean, what do we do? And I had that really helpless 
feeling in May 2017 until I determined, as no shock to my friends, something. I'm going to do something. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that something was staking 20 yard signs in our small town with words like, don't give up. Your mistakes don't define you, good old Brene Brown. And you are worthy of love. I had this idea for years, but it was just fleeting and weird. But I found the time, the timing was important and it was something I could try to do to take my empathy and my heartbreak and turn it into action. And it became a thing. People got curious. People wanted them in their yards and it blew up. It totally blew up. So in 18 months, we were in all 50 states and over 26 countries in several different languages. We became a legal nonprofit organization that sells all our goods at cost. So we don't make any money. We just want to give people a tangible way to spread hope and love. Now, not just yard signs, but wristbands, hundreds and thousands being passed out at foster kid camps and schools and churches and family reunions. And the stories are just crazy, a grassroots movement of people just trying to help each other and stir up courage and hope in each other. It's phenomenal. I'm a lot like you. We have very similar personalities where you hear of a problem and you're like, I'm ready to show up. Absolutely. Like, let me be your hero. And I forget that it doesn't have to take something huge. It can start with simple, small yeses. And for you, it it did turn big, right? But like, that was never the intention. It was more so just like, I want to show up in my community, love them well. One of my favorite quotes from your book says... We don't need to have our act together, although maybe at times we will. We don't need to change the world, although we might. We don't need to start nonprofits, although we can. We don't need to be heroes, although perhaps we are to someone somewhere. We just need to show yeah. up for one another. Well, I think we I think we talk ourselves out of a lot. Like, you know, I don't have a big platform. To be honest, I don't. <laughs> I don't I, I don't have a big platform or I don't have enough time. Man, do I feel that. Uh, maybe not in the last year where I've had a little bit more time than usual, but there's all these reasons that I had no business trying to jump in to a difficult conversation about mental wellness and pull my seat up to a table when it was intimidating. And I, and I had no reason to be there except I care and I want to offer something. And if you read the first couple chapters of the book and the story of of what happened, a play-by-play, day-to-day of how it just blew up, I think it's really empowering to realize we don't need to have credentials. We don't need to have more connections, more money, more time to, quote, be the good or the change that you want to see in the world. It's, It's simple. I think sometimes we just need a swift kick in the pants to say, Stop trying to be in the perfect place. Be broken and show up. Don't have yourself all together and show up. We don't need heroes with capes. We need people in solidarity standing next to us, and we need each other. You, Oh, you're so good. If anyone doesn't know this, she's also a TED Talk coach and speaker. So that's why when you're listening to Amy, you're like, what? She's so eloquent. I'm like, yeah. Can I tell you a secret no one knows? Uh, this was can it be in the episode? It can. I'll let it be in the episode. The At this point, time has healed this wound slightly. And so I feel a little less tentative speaking about it. But in 2020, one of 
Luckily, we kept our jobs. Our family stayed healthy, no big disruptions, but a dream died and it was so sad. I was asked to give a TED Talk for the first time. I coached TED Talk speakers, but I was asked to give a TED Talk at the largest TEDx event in the world, 7,000 people. And it got canceled indefinitely until 7,000 people can gather safely again. And I had to grieve. I grieved it. It was my chance to talk about this movement and about doing something and about hopeful change and in us being the catalyst. And it was such a timely word and it got canceled and I was heartbroken. But someday I'm, I'm hoping for a second chance. That's it. We're hoping. That's our word. Hope. Womp, That's right. Womp. <laughs> womp so womp. sad. I hate well, that. You had approached me about a talk someday you want to give. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that still on the dream? Is that still on the to do list? Oh, yeah. We have a 30 before 30 list, and that's definitely one of the items on there. <gasps> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, you know, he's approaching quickly. So I was about to say, Amy, we got to meet in real life, get some coffee, keep me accountable. Oh, okay. Well, I want to chat practically, right? Because I think that our friends listening are thinking, oh, duh. Like, of course, I'd want to show up in my community. Like, of course, I'd want. I'm like, it's not about being a hero. And they might get that. But I think that, again, we, we feel clunky and like stumbly about it all. And we're not sure how to even approach. And so for someone that's listening, that's like, I just need some next steps and practicals. Yeah. What would you encourage them with to start showing up in things that they're passionate about or the things that they feel stirred to justice for? Yeah. Well, there's a whole chapter in my book about examples of people who just chose to do something. And sometimes that something was motivated out of their own wound. Stories of people losing loved ones to suicide or navigating loss in their own life and feeling like they had something to offer that particular community. And so there's stories of people motivated through their own healing and then stories of random happenstance did a thing and it mattered to someone kind of like our yard signs. So I think people will be really inspired by listening to other people, not mine, but other people's stories. But I'll give you one example and it's of my dad. My dad is a lovely man. What a weird way to explain him. Uh, he's great. <laughs> he, my dad's awesome. <laughs> my dad's awesome. Uh, growing up, I think the biggest gift he gave me that I try to model to my children is I never had to earn his love and I never could lose it. I just never felt like I had to hustle for it. That's awesome. And I'm just so grateful for that. He, part of my story that I shared a couple years back with you is the sudden loss of my brother, Jeremy, in a drowning accident when I was 14 and he was 18. And all of us grieved a little different, my parents and myself. I became an only child. One of the things that was an unexpected gift during that time is a high school friend of mine bought a journal And she put the journal up at my brother's grave where people could write letters to Jeremy or letters to my family. And it became a really therapeutic outlet for people to process. And it became a really meaningful token for my family. It still sits there uh, this many or 20 plus years later. And now it's, you know, Jeremy's friends coming home for Christmas, visiting, you know, their families or wanting to leave a note for my parents saying, we still remember. I mean, it's beautiful. 
But what we realized is, my dad realized in particular, is it was a way that he could bless other families who have lost sons or daughters. He made wood boxes to put our journal in up at the gravesite so the paper was protected. Hello, Oregon, we have lots of rain. <laughs> and when he started to hear headlines of other families drowning or perhaps different circumstances, he would make a box. He would have the name of the son or daughter ingrained on the lid, and he would write the first page of the journal. This is what helped us. I'm not sure if it'll help you, but we want your family to know that we've been through it and we're here for you. And he would do this for strangers. We would go, I remember one family in particular, just not too many years ago, they lost a son in a traumatic accident. After a few months, my dad emailed them and we went to their home and we gave them the box and we explained what the journal meant for us at the grave site. And they were so moved by the act of solidarity. And my dad puts it in his calendar, these anniversaries for these families, and he emails them, hey, I know after a year, it feels like everyone moves on, but we remember your son or your daughter. And it's short and it's simple and it's so tender. And he's willing to relive his pain in those hard years and months and moments. He's willing to do that to offer company, you know, imperfect action. He's not trying to solve their suffering. He's just saying right. us too, us too, we get it. And what a beautiful act of love that's so simple. It's in his workshop. He creates these wood boxes and he sends annual emails. And that's simple. That's not trying to swoop in and save anyone. And yet it stirs hope in, yes, other families, but also in ours that we can almost use our pain as a gift of kindness to others. So that's one small example in the book that maybe will... I don't know, it inspire different ways to think through how to stir up hope in people around us, even strangers. Creatively. And that's what I love yeah. about it is it's like, I just think there's like a make cookies for neighbors. Like there's a list we could, <laughs> we could ramble off, right? And it's like, of yeah. course, of course we can do that. But the creativity and the uniqueness of how me, Rachel, you, Amy, like friends listening can show up and offer their gifts so again, like I love what you said, not fix the problem. That's not my responsibility, but to stand with someone. And I've heard this said before, but a burden shared becomes half a burden and a celebration mm -hmm. shared becomes double celebration. And it's mm -hmm. it's that. It's like we can just stand with one another. Our burdens become a little bit more light, not easier, mm -hmm. just lighter. And our celebrations become so much more intense because people are offering their joy with ours and that partnership okay. is what I think we're called to. Yeah. Yeah. It's so real. I, you know, everyone rolls their eyes at some of these cliches that have been thrown around during pandemic, you know, we're in this together. We happen to put that on a yard sign and sell thousands of them all over the country in a matter of weeks in <laughs> the spring of 2020. And we all knew yeah, that message. Uh, and it's, it is cliche. And you know what? We're not all experiencing the same things. And we're not trying to brush it all under the rug and say we have equal amounts of suffering. Goodness, no. I can't understand the suffering of my neighbors, people of color, 
and what they're experiencing. And right, so we can't equalize our experiences, diminish them or compare them. But to say we're all trying life, we're all trying to do our best here and it is messy and it is hard and we cannot do it alone. We are in this together. I, I, as cliche as it is, as a, and as, as some people have tried to dismiss it, I think it's a really important reality that we can't do it alone. We, you know, some of us are trying to muster up the strength to overcome, go through the divorce alone or go through yeah, fertility challenges alone. And it's so isolating and it's scary to be vulnerable and to live it out loud in a safe community of people. That's hard. But I am so convinced that we are better together. So, and I hate cliches. And I started a whole <laughs> move, a movement full of them. And the book, the book, you'll have to stomach some cliches, but then we dig a little deeper into what does it mean? Why is it real? Why is it important? And I really believe that we are in this together. Funny story. I wrote the whole last chapter of this book in February, I think of 2020. It was beautiful. It was talking about we're in the best era of humanity ever, our access to water and education and human rights and <laughs> all this data and research. And it was celebrating. Look, look how hopeful this is. This is amazing. Look what we've done together. And a couple of months later, my editor emailed me and said, so that last chapter is not going to work. This whole we're in this together and it's amazing isn't going to work. Because <laughs> it was tone deaf in the, like, the whole world felt yeah. flipped upside down. And so I rewrote half of the last chapter to suddenly the tone of we're in this together was almost like a desperate linking arms of, I don't know how this is going to end, but I'm certainly not going to go it alone. And I don't want you to either. And so the tone changed. And what was really interesting, Rachel, is I had to record the audio book, which did you know that most authors don't record their own? Don't they get hired out? Like you have to audition yes. to read your own book. <laughs> Friend, I had to flip an audition to read my own book. It was so <laughs> that before. weird. It was That's so weird. real strange. I got the job. Good news. I think <laughs> my, public, my public speaking background really, I think, helped. But what it meant is that for two days in a studio, for 10 straight hours, I had to read out loud every word I wrote over the course of two years. And so I could see this beautiful tapestry woven together. And when I got to the last chapter, reading out loud, I had to stop because I was crying. I had written it when the best of humanity was showing in the pandemic. I wrote it when, you know, these you know, professional athletes were donating their salary to stadium workers who were obviously going to be out of a job for a long time. And fancy restaurants on fancy strips of big towns were becoming soup kitchens to feed the homeless and medical workers. And when, you know, the boutique hotels in Portland opened up their doors to the homeless during the pandemic, it was the best. It was when people were at their sewing machines, sewing masks for their local nurses. And I reread that and thought before we got weary, before it got political, we were in this together. We were doing what we could. We found our solidarity. And it was so important and so beautiful for me to write in that time because 
we were desperate to find hope together, not in our individual circumstances, but suddenly on this global scale, we were asking the question, what does hope look like? How do we do it together? And it was really neat to find some beautiful research on the science of hope and include it and explain it and make it tangible. And I think people will really appreciate how the book ended up finishing, even though it wasn't the original plan. Yeah. It's so cool that you could adapt, pivot. Oh, well, not my, not my strength. But when your book editor says you need to, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In order for this to be a thing, Amy, we're going yes. to need you too. Oh, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Great. I will rewrite that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Ten, four. Okay, here's the thing is that I'm I'm hearing almost like two sets of opportunities here, right? Like one can be the hope um, and the call to action and showing up that is reactive, like the yeah. pandemic, for example, of saying we are so desperate, we must link arms, we have to do this together. There's really no other way. And then there's another side that's almost proactive, um, maybe even hopefully yeah. like can can keep things from happening in the future is if we say like, I'm going to go ahead and show up, even though there, there might not be a need right now, or I might not be able to see the visual need of it, but I know it exists. So like, I'm going to show up anyways. Mm. So there's almost like two sides of this showing up idea, right? Of like, yeah, yeah but I, I want to talk about why does showing up in either side feel risky? Like, why does it take mm. boldness? Oh gosh. Do you have an answer to your own question? I know. Are like, you, Amy, are, can you, you help? Me? Are you leading me to the answer? <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. Well, okay. Me. Well, here's the thing. I will say this too. I want to add one more thing that I think just to like dive in spiritually into this for a hot second, yeah. I just want to call call it for what it is. Like, the enemy is often going to try to intimidate us, have yes. us agree that something's not for us, that we're not qualified yes. or whatever, whatever, to keep us away from being obedient to then either bless ourselves or others or step into an opportunity to expand the kingdom. Like, it's so obnoxious and I feel like I see it in myself oftentimes because I I, so I don't show up I choose to stay safe I don't want to risk being embarrassed or saying the wrong thing or my idea Rachel I think that's part of it I remember I think it was an Instagram post you did a while back and it really resonated with me it was around the conversation of racism and it's like I I need to say something but it what if I say the wrong thing yeah. And I have felt that. I have felt that I write write about the, my journey of recognizing parts of the racist conversation that I denied not just a few years ago in my journey of learning how to love people of color better. And it took me listening when I originally was just really defensive and confused. So I actually write about that in the chapter about how can we love people well who aren't like us, who we don't understand right away. And I think one of the things that we, I think what keeps us from showing up sometimes is that I don't know what to say when my good friend loses her son in a plane accident and no one knows what to say. And so some of us default to saying nothing and it's 
so isolating to grieve. It's and more heartbreaking scared. than oh, being told the wrong yeah, thing, you know? That's right. And everyone's scared yeah. of you. They, they run into you at the grocery store and they just, they, they don't know what to say. And suddenly you're in the position of trying to make them feel comfortable and it's backwards. And people of color have said the same thing where you're, there's beautiful, perhaps attempts, intentions and attempts to have the conversation. And yet find themselves the one in the comforting role of, oh, I know this is hard for you to talk about because you don't know what to say to me. Like what? It gets so (laughs) distorted. And, and I don't want to diminish good intentions. I think they're important, but I do think the fear of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing keeps us back. Uh, Maybe it's, we're going to be misunderstood. Maybe it's that our intentions are going to be misunderstood, but what you said is right. Saying the saying the wrong thing with right intentions. If we're with really safe, great people, it, there's there's grace, and it mm-hmm. is better to lean in and engage than lean out in fear. One of my good friends, Marley, says that uh, perfect. What does she say? Imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. Mm, and wow. I think, yeah, I think that I think we got to lean into that. I think another thing, to be honest, that keeps us from showing up is, man, we got our own junk. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I was really, I have avoided talking about some of the hardships in my life to honor other people in those hardships. But my husband gave me beautiful permission in this book to write about our challenges in our marriage. They have not been easy years for us and still sometimes aren't. But I think there's a fear of saying, who am I to try to encourage other people when I'm a hot mess, when my husband and I are having these fights and I'm crying on the bathroom floor and it's been like this forever. And yet here I am volunteering at the woman's shelter or speaking at church at Bible study. And we just feel like it's fake. And, and although I really hope that we are willing to address, confront our facades it is not a facade to struggle and be imperfect and lead. Like there, I don't know how we hold the tension of both, but we can lead, we can influence, we can have impact and have junk that we're working out. I think as we long as we keep it at the feet of Jesus and not try to <laughs> gloss it over or hide it <laughs> from our safe right. people, then I think I think it keeps us back. I think we disqualify ourselves because now I got my own junk to figure out. I think that keeps us from showing up sometimes too. You said something in our last conversation that has never left me. I don't think it ever will. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this really cool, profound idea. It's not an or, it's an and. Yeah. It's a both. And like you can hold two things at once, whether it's grief and joy, whether it's confusion and confidence, whether it's yeah, uh, like again, like a like a imperfection, but a willingness. Like you can yeah. hold both and you don't have to have it pretty and prepped in order to make something happen. I think showing up, saying it wrong, all the things are, oh, again, so much more adored than someone else keeping it safe. I did say this and that. I think I know what post you're talking about. Um, back when uh. racial conversation was at the forefront of things, I said it's pride, y'all. Like it's the mm. it's pride. It's our deep heart sin <laughs> wanting to say like, oh, I'm afraid to be wrong. I'm afraid to be oh. misunderstood. I'm afraid yeah. to like say it weird. I'm like, no, but say it anyways. Like. 
take it to that next place and be okay with being corrected. That's the only way we're going to learn. That both and mentality that we talked about last time, I think I shared with you in my faith, putting God in a box of he's either this or that has really limited him. And when I said he can be scary and loving, he can be approachable and mysterious. He can be mighty and tender. Suddenly I found this beautiful unknowing in my faith, this beautiful invitation into the darkness and the mystery of God, where he says, Amy, you can't figure me out, but in your journey, in your human years on earth of pursuing me and seeking me, I will reveal myself to you. And it's a beautiful invitation. It's not mean, but it it also liberates me from putting God in a box and having him serve what I want him to be, my Christian culture of what we want him to be and do. And so it has not only liberated me in my personal life, which I think we shared about we talked last time about unlikely friends and oh that was such a good conversation and I do write about that friendship in my book but (laughs) I think it's also liberated me in my faith journey and my relationship and interaction and encountering this God of the universe I think it's helped me there too it will help certainly in our human relationships of not not almost okay I for me this nuance of bracing this nuance has allowed me to love other people better without feeling the need to fix them. And that's what we briefly discussed last time. And I think it's really important if we talk about how we can love the world better to address where or confront where we limit our love. Maybe it's a way a certain vote, you know, someone votes, maybe it's how they identify in their gender. And we don't know what to do about that. And I hope that as people read this book, they feel equally parsed, totally inspired by the goodness of humanity, totally challenged to confront where they are not willing to love. And then third, completely empowered after they put down the book to do something beautiful. So I I do hope there's that. I told my publishers, this is a feel good, but this is also hopefully really challenging to people as they read because I've been challenged. It's been hard for me. God has brought me on a journey of what does loving well look like? And you'll, you'll read about that. I have had the unique opportunity of being able to read this advanced reader's copy. (laughs) And I (laughs) have felt challenged even like every conversation we have, I always leave like, Hmm, (laughs) that was uncomfortable. I mean, not, not (laughs) our conversation was uncomfortable, but I'm like, I haven't thought about that before. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Interesting. Well, and I'm an Enneagram eight. So Enneagram eights. I love a challenge. I love stirring you up love a conversation. To <laughs> oh yeah. Cause you feel like once there's tension, you're at the meat of it. You're at the good stuff. You're at the stuff that matters if there's tension. Yeah. And I think you'll get a flavor of that once in a while in this book about loving well and stirring hope. Even in that there's some challenging of why do we do it? What's our intentions? What is it? What happens when we try to level and it backfires in our face? What do we do about that? What's our knee-jerk reaction? So I, I think my Enneagram 8 shows sometimes. Amy, that's why you're good for me because my Enneagram <laughs> 3 is like, can we just avoid that and just yeah, get to the end? Just tell me what you need me to hear. I know. Don't want to have to feel it and do it and touch it and all the things. I know. So yeah, no, this is the best challenge for me and I appreciate well. you for it. So for, for my friends that want to get their hands on Signs of Hope, how small acts of love can change your world. 
and they want their world to be changed and rocked like we're talking about where can they find it yeah it's a long url address so i hope you link this <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> don't give up signs.com forward slash signs of hope or you can google it it's available to pre-order and order anywhere books are sold so if you just google signs of hope you certainly will find it Amazing. And you guys have to follow Amy on all things Uh social media because I'm always inspired and challenged and your relationships are just, Mm. oh, so neat. And I think we need more people like you to stir the pot in the mess in the best way. Oh, good. Yes. I hope it's productive and not just for giggles. (laughs) Nope. It's not noisy one bit. It's always productive and I appreciate you for it. One of my favorite questions to ask and this one might be a blast to hear from you. What's something that you're loving these days that you have to share with our friends listening? I have the most vain thing that came to mind immediately. Yes, let's go. (laughs) Okay. I have a dry shampoo. (laughs) It feels so stupid even saying, I love it. And it's the first thing that came to mind. Which one is it? It's the brand Living Proof. Uh Have you heard of it? Yes. Okay. I just bought a mini bottle to put in my hospital bag. Oh, oh your to-go bag. I have to tell you, I hate spending a lot of money on beauty products. I ha- I do have some beauty counter things that I do for my daily routine, but I will spend $30 on a stupid bottle of dried shampoo from Living Proof because it is superior to other dry sh- I can't explain it. <laughs> But I am loving it. And then, okay, on a deeper level, can I have a redemption? Like one more? Of course. You so can say as many as you want. For being yes. vain. Okay, <laughs> I have one more. On a deeper level, I have been rereading the Bible. Uh, I've read it multiple times through. But what I'm loving is I'm I'm not very goal-oriented, but I love a finish line. And I told myself to read the Bible again and have no measurable goal to not try to do it in a year, to not try to read three chapters a day. But when I sit and open it, I just read. I'm not reading for a nugget. I'm not reading for life wisdom. I'm not reading it for an application to my difficult situation. I'm just reading. And I can't tell you how more alive and confusing and beautiful and sad and joyful and purposeful and meaningful the word is to me when I'm not doing it for five minutes. I'm not doing it for three chapters. I'm not doing it before December 31st. I am reading slow. I am reading with new curiosity, even though I've read it before. Slower, curious again, And let me tell you, it has been phenomenal. I read the book of Proverbs in entirety because I had to preach on it once. And so studied that sucker (laughs) a lot. And I did that last year. And yeah, I found myself through Proverbs again. And it felt entirely different. Same year, same holy ancient texts. And yet just going slow has been beautiful. So that's also what I'm loving is rereading the Bible If it takes me five years to do it this way, it'll be the best five years I've spent in the Bible for sure. Oh my goodness. How cool and liberating. I love the idea of it not having to be around a goal or to get the nugget, squeeze the juice. It's just because. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that gives God a lot more permission than I've given him in the past. 
So here we go, friends. Living proof, dry shampoo, read your Bible slowly. (laughs) Read your Bible slow. (laughs) I love it. The best two I've heard in a long time. I've got to be honest with you. I'm on board for both of those. Okay, one more thing. I know this is, I I'm, I swear it's my last thing. This is like my, the version of a photographer who says, one more picture as a public speaker. <laughs> one more, one more thing. Hold on. Have you heard of the Bible Project? Yeah. Okay. So the Bible Project, I think, is actually a bunch of guys in Portland here in my backyard, Portland, Oregon. But every time I approach a new book of the Bible, I first read their summary videos about the book. Yes. They're so so good so anyone if you're like a visual person that just needs to see like an outline and some doodles yeah like totally doodles and context historical context patterns in the book you're about to read like literary patterns that maybe you wouldn't have picked up on otherwise so if you're new to the bible or is still a bit confusing to you the bible project google certain books of the bible they have so much content and it's really good I've been, I am, I'm doing the other thing. I'm reading the Bible in a year. <laughs> so that's why I was like, reading slow. What is that like? Because like right now I feel like I'm, oh my Hustling. gosh, trying to eat an elephant. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um, I'm reading with, uh, of course I can't. Okay. Yeah. Tara Lee Cobble with Bi- the Bible recap. Ooh. And at the beginning of like every um, new chapter, right? So we're in Exodus right now. I cannot talk. At the beginning of every new book, we're in Exodus right now. They will link the Bible Project video and host. Oh, they will. Like, hey, this is oh, what yeah. I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah. Super great. Super great resource if you aren't aware of it. Well, we're going to link all this in the show notes because there's a lot of goodies in this show. And I'm so excited <laughs> for our friends listening to have gleaned tons of wisdom and yes, okay, let's do this mentality, a, sh- a shift in their perspective and their mindset and Again, just always so grateful for the time I get to spend with you. Oh, ditto, friend. Someday in person, and we're going to Instagram story the heck out of meeting. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, we're just going to live the whole thing. <laughs> Y'all join us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All of you would love it. We would make it so great. Uh, I'm so grateful for the platform that you give for all of us to learn from each other. What a beautiful thing you do. Thank you for including me in the conversation. This episode of Behind the Bliss podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more episodes so you don't miss episodes full of encouragement. And don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content. See you in the next episode.